That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ronald Acuna Jr. standing in from the right side of the plate. Patrick Corbin is ready to go. The left-handers into the windup. The first pitch of a new season is swung on and missed for strike one. One ball and no strikes. The pitch. Swinging a chopping ground ball slowly hit. Abrams charges in gloves and can't make a play. All hands are safe. Now the next offering swung on. Line right toward the line. Thomas back to his left. Makes the catch. Runner tags. He's going to try and go to third, throw to Abrams, relay throw, past everybody. Nationals will be charged with their third error of the game, and the Braves lead 7-2. I talked to CJ after the, you know, the double play should happen. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, they had a tough time seeing the ball as well. But I told him, I said, hey, we play day games here. Those are the plays that we need to make. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, March 31st, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, well, Patrick Corbin lasted for just three innings. C.J. Abrams committed three errors. The Nats went one for 11 with runners in scoring position and had one extra base hit. And Kyle Finnegan had a bad top of the ninth. Other than those things, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But hey, it was opening day. Thursday was a beautiful day in the Washington, D.C. area. We did get a nice crowd at Nationals Park, 35,756. But uh, yeah, the Nats did lose to the Atlanta Braves 7-2. Mark, it wasn't all bad on Thursday afternoon, but uh, a lot was bad. This was a weird one, Al. The quality of play was not up to standard for what they were hoping for, what they were preaching all spring long. The defense was sloppy and it was Abrams primarily, but not just him. And it was actually on both sides. There was a lot of trouble in the field that the sun had something to do with it. The at-bats were not what you're looking for when you have opportunities to score runners, advance them with runners in scoring position, drive them in from third, less than two outs, all that kind of stuff. So that wasn't good. As you said, Patrick Corbin doesn't make it through the fourth inning. And yet, until that blow up in the ninth, they're right in it. And you're thinking they may somehow find a way to pull this thing off. Obviously, they did not. It was just a strange game, a strange vibe. And it felt like, and there was a little bit of anecdotal evidence of this afterwards, that some of the guys, particularly the younger guys, maybe let their nerves get to them in an opening day game. And 
while you can understand why that might be the case for somebody who hadn't been in one of these before, that's pretty disappointing. You don't want to see that from important players from your team. This is the big leagues. None of them, at least none of them in this game, were making their major league debut. You wish that they just put together a little cleaner performance and maybe didn't let the moment become too big for them. Yeah, clean. This game was not pretty. This game was not. But it is great to be back with you for season number three of the Nats Chat Podcast. We had a wonderful offseason, did some offseason episodes, also got to interact with a number of Nats Chat listeners. We had our first ever Nats Chat Podcast party back in October at Walters in D.C. We had a great Q&A event in February at the City Ridge in D.C., thanks to the uh, real estate master, Jamie Coppersmith. So it's been great doing this podcast the last two seasons. We look forward to a lot of great Nationals uh, episodes and conversations and interactions with you guys throughout this season. We know the deal with the Nats. We know the expectations for this season, but that doesn't mean that we can't have good Nationals baseball conversation over the course of this season. So we're off and running. It's great to be with you. We are with you after every Nationals game day with a new installment of the Nats Chat podcast. So yeah, let's get into C.J. Abrams because, I mean, you know, his defense was the thing that I think excited you as much as anything in terms of the positives that were on display from him last season. And, you know, you couldn't have scripted this much worse for him in this game here. So the Nats commit three errors. All three errors are by Abrams. See, in the game, as the Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter, 0 for 4 with the three errors. Uh, Abrams in a Braves three-run second, a crucial fielding error. Patrick Corbin, you know, he did do his job in this spot. A one-out, one-two pitch induced a tailor-made double play grounder off the batter Ronald Acuna Jr., but Abrams botched his fielding of the grounder while ranging to his left for a fielding error to load the bases. And then Abrams had two throwing errors. Top of the fifth, a two-out throwing error on a grounder by Orlando Arcia as Abrams, again, off ranging to his left, made a high throw. And then Abrams in a Braves three-run ninth, a two-out run-scoring throwing error. He made a really bad throw to third base on a relay throw, scoring Travis Darno for a 7-2 Braves lead. That was kind of weird because Lane Thomas made a really good throw, and so that made it possible for Abrams to try to make a play, but Abrams ended up making a bad throw. It was interesting, Davey Martinez in his post-game press conference with you guys talked about how Abrams has to have a better sort of recognition of the speed of the game at the major league level. You know, he's got to come get the ball. You know, you try to stay back and then have rush his throw. I mean, you got to know who's running. Look, he's not going to make three errors every game. His defense still is a strength, but this obviously was a really rough day for Abrams. Yeah. And, you know, he's been here before, both with the Padres and then uh, about six weeks at the end of the season last year. I'm not going to interpret too much from one game and say, well, this is who he's going to be. And you understand that with, I know he's not technically a rookie, but let's, you know, a 22-year-old shortstop, that there are going to be some mistakes. So you accept that. But I agree that it was the lack of maybe awareness at times. He did seem slow, and he wasn't the only one. Jamer Candelario at times looked slow there. Luis Garcia was kind of slow. Dom Smith. Everybody just seemed out of sorts, like they were running through quicksand or something out there. And we did hear afterwards that the sun was a factor in a way that I've never heard of it being here, certainly early in the season, not just on fly balls, but even picking up the ball off the bat for the infielders, apparently. And that was on the first Abrams air. He said he didn't really see it clear right off the bat. I've never heard of anybody having that kind of issue at Nationals Park. Now, I'm, not, I'm not denying it and saying that it's not true. But for whatever reason, the angle of the sun in this game was different than we normally would see from them. Now, all that said, 
you got to just make the plays or you have to at least look a little crisper or cleaner making them. You have to play with a little more urgency. And it's funny because, I mean, Davey talked about it all spring. He even talked about it before the game about the defense being better, in particular up the middle. And then to see it come apart like that right away is really disappointing. And maybe the first one stuck in his head a little bit and that contributed to the other two later on. Maybe it also impacted him at the plate when he did not have a good game there. You would like to believe that in the long run, C.J. Abrams is not the kind of player that's going to let that kind of thing fester and make things worse. But it was hard not to at least draw some conclusions like that, at least as it pertained to this one particular game. Well, when the Nats lineup came out before the game and I saw Abrams batting ninth, I said, oh boy, we got to talk about that on the podcast. But, you know, seeing what happened on Thursday afternoon, maybe he is one of these guys who does have a lot on his mind. And, you know, maybe it does do him some good to not be batting, you know, up high in the order or in a pressure spot, that kind of a thing. You know, it is, of course, one game, but seeing CJ struggle in the field, it did remind me of Ian Desmond back in the day, who would get off to these really bad starts defensively at shortstop. And then, like after April, would settle in and actually would play a really nice shortstop as the season would go on. I don't know if there's something about the position that lends itself to even good fielders getting off to rough starts. I mean, it is a tough defensive spot. And you do have some difficult opportunities there. But I don't know, that just hit me watching the game. Like Desmond used to do this. And, you know, and he would look like awful defensively early in a season. And then, like, middle of the season, you'd say, oh, yeah, how's he doing defensively? And you'd look at the numbers, you'd be like, wow, he's doing a good job. And he'd finish the season having done a nice job defensively. So, you know, maybe this is Abrams is getting off to a rough start, but, you know, he ends up being really good defensively as we have anticipated. So it's funny you mentioned Ian Desmond because I have the list here in front of me. There are six players now in Nationals history who've been charged with three errors in one game. And Ian Desmond is on the list. It's June 2nd, so not really early in the year, but June 2nd of 2010. That's his first full big league season. He came up in September the year before. In 2010, he won the starting shortstop's job. Back then, he was really known for having troubles in the field. And I remember that year, there were a good number of them. And over time, he became much, much more reliable there. So if C.J. Abrams turns out the way that Ian Desmond did, you know, things could be all right. They might be all right. But if you want, just for posterity's sake, here are the others who have committed three errors in the game in Nationals history. Damian Jackson in 2006. Ryan Zimmerman in 2007 when he was still playing third base. Ian Desmond in 2010. Michael Morse in 2011. I'm trying to remember how in the world it must have been at first base that he committed three errors. That's really bad. And then Michael Franco last year, April 17th last year, I do not remember him having three errors in one game. So it's those guys and then CJ Abrams. So not a list you necessarily ever want to be a part of, certainly not on opening day. But I think Desmond's a good example of a young player who clearly had talent, but maybe sometimes let things fester. And once he made one mistake in the field, that turned into two or three. But in the long run, Desi was strong-minded enough to not let that get to him and became a pretty good defensive player. So maybe that'll be the case for CJ. And as we've talked about with errors, they're not a great way to evaluate defense. But if you watch this game on Thursday, these were legitimate errors by CJ Abrams. These were not like, oh, that's unfortunate that he got hit with an error. They were, you know, true, legitimate, good faith errors. Like those were real errors that CJ Abrams was guilty of. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Four Bags Manessis? 
Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Manessis' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong. There's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer and founder of the podcast, here to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to your favorites shouldn't be so stressful. That's why you should look into the game time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, GameTime offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And now the set. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive, a base hit into center field for Manessis. In from third to score is Victor Robles. And the Nationals draw a little closer. It's the Braves for the Nationals, two. Manessis hits it right over all these and drops it into right center field, right in front of where Harris was playing, but well in front of him. You mentioned the sun. You know, it was a strange game in a lot of ways, like we've said. The Nats offense was not good in this game. That is one of the real concerns with this team this season. Where is the power going to come from? Where is the offense going to come from? The Nats scored just two runs, went one of 11 with runners in scoring position and hit for basically no power. Eight hits, but seven of them were singles, a double and seven singles. And, you know, it's not even just that. The nature of the hits, not exactly imposing. And, you know, you saw some weird hits in this game. Lane Thomas, bottom of the first, a leadoff first pitch single on a pop-up to shallow center that landed between Ozzie Albies and Michael Harris. Looked like there was a miscommunication between them, although it may have been two that Albies lost the ball in the sun. It was hard to tell. Dominic Smith had two singles to go with a walk, but his two singles were infield singles, including in an Nats one-run second, a leadoff single on an infield fly ball that Orlando Arcia lost in the sun. The ball landed on the infield dirt. So, you know, you had some <laughs> strange things defensively going on 
And with an ads offense, like they did get some hits, but man, they were not hitting with much pop in this game. No, and this really showed you the potential for where their issues are going to be offensively. Like you said, not hitting for power, but even more than that, so many ground balls. And yeah, maybe the lack of the shift will help him in some cases, but there weren't a lot of those moments in this one. And, you know, in situations where the fly ball gets a runner home, or at least gives you a better chance. You just wish you could see that. A couple guys did not even get the bat on the ball with a man on third, less than two outs. Luis Garcia in the second, Alex Call in the sixth. They both struck out with a man on third and one out. We know that they're not going to be a power lineup. Davey Martinez knows that. His mantra to them has been good quality at bats, move the baseballs, he likes to say, put the ball in play and make things happen. And this was an example of them doing that in the worst possible way. Weak contact on the ground, not making at least productive outs. And that is a concern. This is what we're going to see, I think, a lot from them this year. Again, it's one game. It's opening day. It's very cold. The ball wasn't going to travel anyways. But this was kind of discouraging and maybe a glimpse at what kind of lineup we're looking at this year. And it's been probably my number one concern since spring training started is how are they going to score runs? We saw today that it may take three quality at-bats to score a run for this team. You need somebody to get on, then you need him to get over, and then you need to get him in. And they were not doing a good enough job of getting all three of those things right in this game. No, I mean, you look at how the Nats scored in this game. Alex Cole in a one-run second, an RBI sack fly, and Joey Manessis in the Nats one-run fifth, a two-out RBI single to shallow center. I mean, Joey had two hits in the game, but like that's how your offense uh, was happening, you know, manufacturing runs. I mean, station-to-station baseball, those things. And it's great if you can score that way, but it is hard to score consistently that way. And, uh, you know, the other thing too, Max Freed, only lasted a handful of innings due to what a hamstring injury, right? So you benefited in that regard. Freed is out, and you still are not able to have a very good game offensively with the lineup. Because I know that there was, uh, you know, a bit of mystery with what the lineup would look like, just given you know the many opportunities uh, that Davy could go with in terms of all these guys. And you know, look, there aren't like obvious guys for obvious spots here. But the lineup was Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, Jamer Candelario, Dominic Smith, Kbert Ruiz, Alex Cole, Luis Garcia, Victor Robles. C.J. Abrams. Did anything about the lineup surprise you or not really? Uh, Not a huge surprise. We kind of had a sense this might be what they were going to be doing, in particular against a lefty. Davey did come out and say before the game that Corey Dickerson and Alex Call are going to be a platoon in left field. So when they face a lefty, it'll be Dickerson. When they face a lefty, it'll be Alex Call. Now, there was a moment that I thought maybe he would have actually pinch hit for Call in the sixth Calls got his two at-bats against Freed. You now have a right-hander in the game at that point, a runner in scoring position, like I said. I was looking to see if maybe Dickerson would come in. He did not. Call ends up striking out. Then Dickerson does pinch hit for him in the eighth, also against a righty. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. I do think this is something that's going to change on a semi-regular basis. I don't think we're going to see the same lineup day in and day out. I think it's going to be matchup-based. That's a product of who they have and them trying to maximize whatever it is that they have. You know, Joey Manessis hit second in this game against a lefty, maybe against a righty. You see Dominic Smith or Jamer Candelario hit second, then Manessis down to third. I don't know, but I think it could be something like that. But pretty clearly, we talked about this. The young guys, Abrams and Garcia, are most likely going to hit at the bottom of the order until they prove that they can be more than that. 
I know fans may not love to hear that, but I'll tell you what, both those guys had rough days at the plate. So not the worst thing that they weren't hitting higher in the lineup in this game. No, Luis Garcia went 0 for 4. I thought Cabot Ruiz looked pretty good, 2 for 4 with a double and a single. He in the one run second had a first pitch double down the third base line. And how about Victor Robles getting on base three times in this game? He in the one run fifth had a leadoff single on a grounder to left center field. And then he had two leadoff walks, bottom of the seventh and bottom of the ninth. Victor Robles, two walks. How many times has that happened in recent years? Two leadoff walks in both cases, leading off the inning. I'll tell you what, he quietly had a really good game. He had a great catch up against the wall as well. I want to also credit Lane Thomas with a great catch that helped that first inning not be anything much worse than it might have been. Here's the set. Corbin delivers. Swing and a fly ball deep right center field. Thomas in the run going back in the warning track. Banks a running backhanded catch. Tagging at second is Acuna. He will make it a third. Scampering back to first is Riley. Lane Thomas with a spectacular running backhanded catch on the warning track before kissing up and bracing himself against the big out-of-town scoreboard of the right field wall and fired it back in. That is a huge first inning play. The outfield defense was actually quite good in this game. The infield defense, not so much. But, you know, Victor Robles had a good spring. He was drawing some walks there at the end. He was not striking out as much. This was a good opening day for him. A long way to go before we declare anything about it. But that was at least a little smidgen of an encouraging thing to see from a guy who, as we know, walks are not typically a part of his game. But he put together quality bats, and they were good long at bats too. I think a seven-pitch at bat on one of them. And to lead off an inning, the shame, they couldn't advance him. You know, like he did his job, and then the others couldn't do their job to get him around and in which, as we know, they're going to have to find a way to do somehow. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Everyone loves a smart investment, especially right now, and there is no better place to put your money right now than in your home. If your home is 20 years old or older, Window Nation has the perfect offer for you. Get 0% financing for five years. This is unheard of, zero interest for five years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Get this special deal. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You can save up to 30% on your energy bills. You can increase the value of your home by up to $12,000 and you can pay zero interest for five years and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. There is no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and then save thousands of dollars on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, zero interest for five years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Candelario off the line, deep at third. Corbin sets. And the pitch. Swing and a miss at the slider. He struck him out and the inning is over. And that's a heck of a job right there by Patrick Corbin. 
Well, Victor Robles, a national trying to recapture his 2019 form. Just like the Nats starting pitcher on Thursday afternoon, Patrick Corbin. Corbin ended up lasting for three innings. You know, nobody is stunned by that, but, you know, of course, that is disappointing. Opening day, he got the nod. We talked about that on the last installment of the podcast. Uh, Your final line for Patrick Corbin, four runs, two earned in three innings. He gave up seven hits, a double, and six singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch, three strikeouts. You know, he didn't get hit particularly hard, and the defense at times did fail him. We talked about what happened with C.J. Abrams. But, I mean, to me, here's the bottom line with Corbin. Three innings, 80 five pitches. I mean, that is a staggering pitch count for a three-inning workload. 85 pitches and the strikes versus balls breakdown, 48 strikes, 37 balls. I mean, that is not the ratio that you're looking for. I had to laugh because, you know, this obviously was the Nats' first regular season game with the pitch clock and even the pitch clock is no match for Patrick Corbin. This ended up being a three-plus hour game. The game did pick up once uh, Corbin was taken out, but man, those first few innings were taking quite a while. Geez, 85 pitches, three innings. That's not going to get the job done. At the end of the fourth inning, I was thinking like, we're looking at three and a half hours plus <laughs> the way this one is going. <laughs> so much for the pitch clock. Now, you're right. It did pick up a lot after that. So that you know helped a little bit. Here's my takeaway of Corbin in this game. I do not think he pitched well, but he also deserved better. And in the end, I give him a little bit of credit for like minimizing the damage. It could have been a lot, lot worse than it was. Now, the problems were, you know, falling behind over and over again. And just those non-competitive pitches that we talked about all last year, the pitch out of the hand, the batter doesn't even have to think about swinging at. That's both fastballs and sliders. And he didn't have that put-away pitch. That was such an issue for him last year. There were times that he could have ended in a bat with two strikes and he just didn't have it in his arsenal. Now, was that the cold maybe, a little bit not feeling right out there? Maybe that's some of it, but it was discouraging from that standpoint. And yet, of the 11 batters who reached against him, six of them did so either on ground balls or hits with an exit velocity under 80 miles an hour. So they were not squaring him up at all. And a little better defense, a little better luck would have helped him, but you still got to be better than that. And you're right, the pitch count just got to be sky high to the point that you know, he took the mound for the fourth, but he was just going to face the one hitter all along because it was a lefty and he was coming out regardless. You can't do that and have any kind of consistent success. So I get that he needed some help behind him and Abrams turns a double play, the pitch counts much lower. At some point as a pitcher, you got to be able to get the outs yourself. And he didn't have that ability to do that himself in this game. No, he did not. I mean, he followed the Abrams error in the three-run second by issuing a two-out run-scoring walk of Austin Riley. Like, you know, you can't have that. Now, you know, in fairness to Corbin, the next run scored on a two-out basis loaded RBI infield single by Ozzie Albies. So, you know, to your point, like, we contact. But, you know, we have sung this song with Patrick Corbin for years now. He gives up a lot of contact. And when you do that, you're going to give up some hits. Like, that's the way it goes with the variance of the batted ball. The guy gives up so many hits. Weak contact or not, like, that's been a real problem for him. And it obviously was a problem for him in this game. Well, the Nats have the off day on Friday. So Davey was not shy about going to his bullpen. We ended up seeing four Nationals relievers in this game, the first three of which did a very nice job keeping this game competitive. 
Erasmo Ramirez, Mason Thompson, and Hunter Harvey, they combined for five scoreless innings. Now, Ramirez did allow an inherited runner to score, but he officially tossed two scoreless innings. Mason Thompson looked great. Two scoreless innings, three strikeouts, was pounding the zone. And then Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless top of the eighth. But then the guy who you would think in theory is the Nats' best reliever, or at least one of their best relievers, Kyle Finnegan, he had problems. Top of the ninth, he gave up three runs, two of which were earned, back-to-back one-out walks, then a one-out two-run double by Travis Darno to the left center field gap, and then that one-out run scoring throwing error by C.J. Abrams. And we just talked about Patrick Corbin having a hard time throwing strikes. Kyle Finnegan in that ninth inning, 23 pitches, 13 strikes versus 10 balls. And we've seen with Finnegan that when he's on, he's really good. And when he's off, you can kind of tell, and he has a hard time getting it back. So back-to-back walks, even they weren't the first two batters, but the second and third batter that he faced, you just sensed, oh boy, here it goes with him. And then the double and, you know, Robles bailed him out. That catch that Robles made, that was headed for more disaster at the wall. And the 0-2 on the way, swung on and hit in the air. Center field deep, Robles going back to the warning track at the wall. He leaves, and Victor Robles makes the catch, banging up against the center field wall to retire the side. So not a good outing for Finnegan, but overall a really good job by the bullpen having to take over early. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what is the Nationals' formula for winning games this season? I think it starts with good defense. (laughs) It includes just enough hitting in the right moments. And then it also probably includes good bullpen work because we know what the rotation is. We know the bullpen should be deep. Well, they got only one of the three in this game. And even that one kind of fell apart there in that last inning by Finnegan. So you don't play good defense. You don't hit in the clutch. And then you get five quality innings from your bullpen, which is more than you normally have to ask of them. That's going to have to be the formula for them this year. And they almost pulled the bullpen part off. They certainly did not pull off the defense or the timely hitting aspect of it. No. And you obviously can't rely routinely on having four relievers pitch and, you know, have them eat up six innings like that. I mean, that's not <laughs> that's not something that's sustainable over the one sixty-two. I mean, that was an issue with Corbin starts last year, thirty-one starts, and he barely made it to 150 innings for the season. Didn't even qualify for the leaderboards at the end of the season because he didn't accumulate enough innings. So yeah, obviously that's something that needs to change. So in the hours leading up to this game on Thursday afternoon, we had some Nats news. They finally announced their opening day roster. (laughs) They waited till basically like the last moment, I feel like, to announce that. But with that came the Nats announcing the uh, placements of various players on various injured lists, including Steven Strasburg. No surprise here, but the Nats put Strasburg on the 60-day injured list due to his continued recovery from thoracic outlet syndrome, for which he underwent surgery now, closing in on two years ago. July 8, 2021 was when he underwent the surgery. We know the deal with him. I thought it was interesting, though. I know you guys talked to Mike Rizzo on Thursday morning. He said Strasburg's basically not doing anything right now, that he's just kind of resting and waiting to feel better. Uh, Strass stance, you know, he's uh, he's not he's not doing anything baseball-wise. I met with him yesterday. We had a good discussion. And then the other thing from Rizzo on Strasburg, that he didn't want to be there on Thursday because he felt like he would be a distraction. He's not going to be here today. He felt that he didn't want to distract from uh, from the opening day festivities. And uh, he's just taking it, he's taking it day by day. I don't know. I heard that. I'm like, I don't think Strasburg would have been a distraction. But what'd you think about that? I had kind of heard whispers of this previously, so I wasn't surprised by it. Obviously, we did not see Strasburg at all in spring training. 
in Florida. He's got a locker here. It's filled with stuff. I know he has come in when the team was away because he's kind of basing his rehab here. You know, if he had been there pregame, yes, there would have been a huge crowd of us around him asking him questions. We have not had the opportunity to talk to him since he last pitched, and it's been a very long time since that, and there's obviously some major questions there. My hunch is that this has more to do with Steven either not knowing the answers or not being ready to give the answers that he may in the back of his mind know to be the truth. Whether that would actually be a distraction for the rest of them in, in the team, I don't know if that's fair to say or not. We talked about they've kind of turned the page in a lot of ways from 2019. There are very few left. They are focused on the future and the young guys. And so Strasburg's presence would have been a little out of place, to be sure. But more and more, you kind of see and understand where this is probably heading. And it's sad that there's a good chance he has thrown his last pitch as a major leaguer. And I think now it's a question of how do they proceed from here? And I asked Rizzo, like, is Strasburg on board for going through rehab again? And he said, yes, that he is. And, you know, it doesn't involve anything baseball related yet. It's about rest and getting himself, you know, healthy again. But Rizzo even made the point, like, he needs to uh, uh, rehab right. the, the injury. Uh, nothing more, just to you know, play with his children. You know, and get back to you know regular life. So uh, he's going to rehab the the injury. Acknowledging that this isn't just about getting him ready to pitch. This is about getting him back to a point, and, and we haven't seen him, so I don't know what's actually going on with his arm or his shoulder or anything else. But it sounds like we're talking about quality of life here is becoming a little bit of an issue. So it's not hard to read between the lines what's going on. I think. The problem is that it's going to be complicated how this thing reaches its inevitable conclusion. He's under contract for four more years. If he were to voluntarily retire, he forfeits the rest of his contract. I don't think that will happen. But by the same token, can you just keep him on the active roster on the 60-man IL for the next four seasons? I don't know that that's really the answer to this. So I think at some point there has to be some conversations between the organization and Strasburg and they have to figure out how they're going to proceed here. But, you know, more and more it seems pretty clear that baseball is not a part of it at least not anytime soon. No, it has felt for a while like he's done and all that's kind of left is for him to acknowledge that he's done. And, you know, maybe that's part of why he wasn't there on Thursday, that he doesn't want to have those thoughts, have those conversations. I mean, we know that he's not in love with speaking to the media to begin with. And so that's kind of what I thought when Rizzo said that. Like, I think the idea that Strasburg would have been a distraction to his teammates, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, maybe he didn't want to be there, not because Strasburg is a bad teammate, but, you know, maybe it's sad for him to be there knowing that he can't be out there playing. Like, I could see that being a part of this as well. So Strasburg on the 60-day injured list, Cade Cavalli to the 60-day IL due to his Tommy John surgery. We know that he's done for the season. Tanner Rainey, 60-day IL due to his Tommy John that he underwent last August. Victor Arano, 60-day IL right shoulder strain. Carter Keboom, remember him, 10-day injured list, right shoulder impingement, and catcher Israel Pineda, 10-day IL right finger fracture. What is the timeline? Is there a timeline with Keboom in his recovery from this shoulder issue? Well, you know, they were hopeful at the beginning of camp that he was pretty much fully healed from Tommy John surgery. He was throwing in drills and the idea was he'll be behind everyone, but kind of on a normal path. And then he had a setback and was dealing with the shoulder issues. Never a good sign, of course, if you're trying to come back from an arm injury. And since then, while he was participating in drills and he even did 
DH in some minor league games this spring. He was not, to my knowledge, throwing or at least doing full throws across a diamond or in any kind of game situation. So he is still down there, you know, what would now be called extended spring training. Eventually, if he's at a point that he can, they would send him on a rehab assignment, I guess, at Rochester or Fredericksburg somewhere and let him go through that. Now, the fact is on the 10 day instead of the 60 day, IL may be an indication they believe it's not going to be two full months for him to be healthy again. But I don't know if they know that for certain. This is frustrating because Tommy John surgery for a position player should not usually take this long to recover from. Now, they may have already moved past it and he's not really a big part of what they're doing now at this point anyways. But if there was any hope for him of reestablishing himself saying, hey, don't forget about me. I could still be your third baseman. He has done nothing to seize that opportunity because of his health. I was going to say, when he's healthy, is it even definite that he'll be on the major league roster? To me, it's possible they put him in the minors, right? Yeah, I think that's probably what they would do. As long as Candelario was healthy and playing up here, it's not going to do Kibum any good to be on the bench. So I think at the minimum, they would say, hey, go to AAA and like reestablish yourself what you can do. And then maybe we'll call you up whether Candelario was traded or whatever else may happen over the course of the season. But I mean, Carter Kibum, I hate to say it, he is really far off the radar right now for what the Nationals are doing for a guy who for several years there was viewed as one of the centerpieces of their future. That's not the case at all anymore. No, it's not. One more item here, and this is certainly not shocking news, but it is worth reading into the record as this 2023 season gets going. Sports Business Journal on Wednesday morning had a report that the sale process of the Nats has been paused through at least the 2023 season. Now, if you read the article, it is framed as, well, it's being paused because the learners don't want the sale to be a distraction, there's that word again, to the team as the season is happening. I think we understand why the sale process is being paused. It's not going anywhere right now, in large part because of the Mazin dispute. I'm just curious, what, if anything, did Mike Rizzo have to say about the ownership uncertainty to you guys? Yeah, he expounded a little more than he has so far. He says that on a year to year, as far as like this year is concerned, it really isn't affecting anything. But he admitted that when it comes to talking about three years down the road, five years down the road, yeah, it does become a problem as you're trying to talk to players and convince them to sign long term or as you're trying to lure free agents or as you're just internally trying to formulate a grand plan for where you're going. If you don't know who's going to own the team, it's hard to really know what's going to be the case three years from now, five years from now. That was the first time that he's openly admitted that. It's not hard to see that as already having been the case given the lack of activity this winter from them. I don't know if pause is the right word for it. I think if suddenly the right offer was there and the money that the learners were seeking was made available to them, they would take it. The problem is that offer has not been presented and there's not really a reason to think that it's suddenly going to come, certainly not as the TV situation remains very much up in the air, as it were. So the sense I've had here for a while is that nothing is happening anytime soon, and there's every reason to think this could drag out through the year. And then that leads to all those other questions like we've talked about, what happens to Mike Rizzo? What happens to Davey Martinez at the end of the year? Are they in a position as an organization to try to sign anybody else, spend money next winter if they think they're ready to start doing that? And I think everybody feels hamstrung by that and just sitting around waiting for something that doesn't seem like it's bound to happen anytime soon. 
Yeah, I would think if Jeff Bezos calls up Mark Lerner and says, Mark, I got $3 billion for you for the Nats, all of a sudden that pause button would be hit and the uh, process would be unpaused. Uh, funny how Exactly. That, yeah, funny how that works. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. We are accepting individual show sponsors this season. So hit up Tim Shovers. Let him know what you're looking for, what needs we can fulfill. The email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, including the Nats Chat Blue t-shirts, which are excellent, by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That website, again, natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com and Newmark is spelled N-E-U-M-A-R-K. Also, shout out to one of our great listeners, Chris Beach in Broadway, Virginia for hooking up the Nats Chat podcast with parking for Thursday afternoon's Nationals opening day game. We know how valuable parking is at Nationals Park these days. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We are off and running in the Nationals 2023 regular season. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Belted. Deep left center. The ball game is over. Ryan Zimmerman has delivered the happy ending for the Nationals in the first game in their beautiful new ballpark. Ryan Zimmerman with a game-ending home run.